Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shiny man? You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. The World Cup starts today, everybody. This is incredible. We've all enjoyed the Seth Blatter bashing of recent days, the endless updates on the state of Brazil's stadia and all that kind of thing. But it is nice to get into the football at this point. With that in mind... I decided to check out another of those official FIFA World Cup movies last night. I chose France 98 this time around and uh, just got ready to immerse myself in the football side of things and forget all about the dark side of FIFA and of the sport. But then the very first words that popped up on screen were, ISL Worldwide presents FIFA World Cup 98. (laughs) I hear you laughing there in Sao Paulo, Ken. ISL are the uh, now defunct former marketing firm at the centre of one of the all-time great FIFA bribing scandals, which involve Wau Havalanche and Ricardo Teixeira, two of the top FIFA officials. So uh, even watching some kind of puff piece on the 98 World Cup, I just couldn't get away from it, Ken. It's corruption all the way. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose eventually people will forget ISL ever existed. It's been... uh more than 10 years since they since they ceased to exist and brought down in that thing. But yeah, I, I don't know why you were going for France 98. And I don't know what, what tempted you to go for that. The, the, the good ones to watch are 74, 78, 82, 86 we already talked about, and, and, and 1990 to an extent. But after that, they they just start getting a little bit samey. And also, I think they, they, they the great thing about those old ones is that they're, they're using, obviously, like... Um, I don't know the technical terms for this, but it's like a cinematic style of footage. You know, they're, they're obviously, it's a different style of film. It's not like the TV pictures. Whereas it seems to me that they, in later ones, are actually using the much more high quality TV pictures, um, which completely takes away the sort of sense of watching the thing again, you know, for the first time. It's uh, um, it's unfortunate they should... Yeah, sorry. They do have some remarkable footage, though. Uh, like a lot of these amazing close-ups after the France-Croatia semi-final, Thierry Henry asks Davor Suker for his jersey. For example, a very young Thierry Henry, uh, kind of a hit and miss style. Was he, wasn't he a winger at that stage? Thierry Henry asks the legendary Croatian captain Davor Suker for his jersey, and Suker just looks at him and says, "Sorry, I promised it to somebody else, Thierry." 
Sorry about that. <laughs> I just found that quite a nice moment. Five years later, it might have been a very different answer from Davos Sukar. By the time he was like, who is this young lad? I'm not giving him my jersey. I've, sponsored, I've, I've offered it to Zidane already, you know. Maybe that's the rage that, um, that uh, drove Thierry Henry to eclipse <laughs> Davos Sukar's achievements at Arsenal. Could have been. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Ken, you're in Brazil. You're in Sao Paulo. You're going to the World Cup tonight. I want you to be like Robin Van Persie, channel your inner child and tell us how excited that inner child is about heading to the match tonight. I'm pretty excited. Look, I wanna, I'll tell you this, right? I'm sitting in the media centre yesterday. Now, that's not a promising beginning for any story, but I had work to do. <laughs> so I was sitting there doing my work um, and, uh, and everyone else was sitting there doing their work when suddenly someone comes over, a wild-eyed, a wild-eyed man comes over tearing at his hair and face clawing with, with with his fingernails at his face, screaming, um, I've just been over to the ticketing desk. They say they've only got one um, they say they've only got one ticket for my newspaper. There's a lot of swearing involved here and he, he named his newspaper it would be it would be unfair to, to specify which newspaper this man, this uh, this broken, hysterical man came from. Essentially uh, what he was claiming was that despite having been approved on the FIFA system for uh, for ticket, you know, you apply on the FIFA system for your ticket, uh, and then they they put like pending, and then they either say declined or approved or uh, waiting list. You know, one of these that uh, despite having been approved, he had just been up to the ticket desk to pick up his ticket for the match, and they had said, "Oh, sorry, actually, uh, we don't have enough tickets." We've only got one for your newspaper, and you know, some other guy from your newspaper has already taken that one. So. Bad luck to you. Mm. And uh, he told us this. I swear I've never seen such a panicked stampede of people to that ticket desk as everybody ran with the same thing in mind. <laughs> the, the Brazilians may have may have just, you know, it's they don't want to say no to anyone on the internet. They just want to say no to them in face, when you know, face to face when they're there <laughs> uh, getting their ticket. But everybody with the same thought in mind, which was, if this rumor is true, I want to make sure that I'm the first man from my newspaper <laughs> to get that. I don't care about the other guys. Screw those guys. I've heard the inside information. I want to get over to that ticket desk now and get that ticket. In order. So that's, you know, it's a kind of ruthless, um, craven, self-serving behavior from grown men who are desperate not to miss, yeah. uh, desperate not to miss the opportunity to go to the World Cup opening game. It's time now for Ken Erdy's Sao Paulo Report on Sport. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, and a lot of the talk about the World Cup coming up. But first, uh, Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill. I know this is a little bit like on when when you see in the news, um, you know, the Irish news, there's some uh, some gigantic um, foreign story, some huge disaster, perhaps abroad. But first, um, a dog <laughs> been killed in Lahinch after a holiday home blew over. Right? Okay. I know there is an element of that to this, but. Um, I still think this is this is maybe we're talking about. Obviously, Ireland played against Portugal. Uh, they lost five one. Uh, didn't really go very well. Uh, Richard Kell scored an own goal. James McLean scored a goal. Is it his first goal for Ireland? I, yeah, it's his first goal. I think yeah. First goal for Ireland. So so good night maybe for him. Not a good night for the team. Robbie Keane saying if we play like that against anyone, you know, we're not going to get a result. Um, and, a, and a pretty bad defeat, all told. Um, so maybe, I don't know, Martin O'Neill is glad of this uh, constant opportunity to talk about uh, whether Roy Keane's going to take a job um, with somebody else. And I'm, I must say, 
little bit. I don't know. I, I don't really understand what's going on here anymore. Um, why does this keep happening? So, well, as far as I can see, what's new today in this is that uh, Martin O'Neill keeps saying uh, part time uh, that this is a part time job. Uh, it's always been a part time role. That's Roy Keane's job. He's not talking about his own job. Um, and he he makes the point that uh, when uh, Roy Keane was <clears throat> excuse me when he was signed up to be uh, the Ireland assistant manager, he was working for ITV as well. Uh, so it was always on the understanding that it would be part time. Uh, uh, but Bernard O'Neill to say, but he's treated a part time job in a full time manner. I have not, and I don't feel let down by him. Uh, the, this is because essentially. You know, Roy Keane goes to matches and all this kind of thing, and he does lots of work and so on and so forth. Now, what, what is all this stuff about a part-time job? I didn't think it was a part-time job, really. I mean, I, I thought maybe Roy Keane had quite a lot on his plate with the ITV job and, and the Ireland job. The ITV job is clearly a part-time job. It only comes up every couple of weeks uh, with, with Champions League. I mean, you're sitting there talking about a football match. It's not necessarily the most demanding work. Uh, but the Ireland job, I don't think it's necessarily part-time. I don't think it's paid as a part-time job either. How many part-time jobs are paid that kind of money? Um, I, I was just a little bit... Well, that's I'm, been I'm one of the key... Uh, when Trapattoni was getting paid as much as he was and his backroom team, Tardelli and these guys, that was one of the gripes. And Tardelli certainly appeared to embrace maybe the part-time aspect of it from what we... Well, that's maybe unfair in Tardelli, but Trapattoni certainly did because Trapattoni, it's well-known, came over, did his, did his stuff, did the games and went home. You do get the sense that O'Neill and Keane are doing a little bit more than that. Maybe it's the kind of job that it's as full-time as you want to make it. Yeah, I think that's the case. But that's the case with any job. You know what I mean? I honestly think that's, that's almost the case with any job. I mean, you could you, an international manager could do what Trapattoni did and, and largely put his feet up or, um, or, or could work a lot harder than that. Um, you know, and either way, I'm sure he'd describe himself as having a, a full-time job. Um you know, in this instance, I just, I don't understand also why, what's so attractive about being Paul Lambert's assistant manager from Roy Keane's point of view. I mean, I'm going to hear, you know, Roy Keane, Bruno O'Neill has confirmed Roy Keane is in negotiations with Atlantic Home Care to, you know, work in there as a divisional sales manager. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why would he, why would he even want that job? Um, it's it's a difficult one to get, but obviously it's it's still kind of rumbling on. Martin O'Neill saying uh, he he's he doesn't want this still going on at the end of the summer. Um, it's difficult to it's difficult to say really what he. I mean, he says he wouldn't feel down if Martin O'Neill wants to go. He says that he, if if Roy Keane wants to wants to uh, wants to do this uh, full a full what he describes as a full blooded assistant manager job, uh, he's essentially saying that he could combine that with this assistant manager job at Ireland because this assistant manager job has always been part-time, which I haven't heard him talk about before. Obviously, Roy Keane mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, this phrase, part-time. Uh, look, anyway, we've talked enough about this nonsense. Uh, one way or the other, Martin O'Neill will be the Ireland manager the next time Ireland play a game. Roy Keane may or may not be the assistant manager. He may or may not also be Paul Lambert's assistant manager. Uh, he may or may not be an ITV pundit, although... I thought he'd kind of. Uh, I thought he'd. Uh, he he told them that he wanted to concentrate on coaching for now. So it's not. You know, I'm. I'm. It's. It's. It is a little bit of annoyance. You would think if the job is worth doing, do it. And if it's not worth doing, leave it. Yeah, I think we are getting to that stage at this point. The World Cup is on, though, Ken, and you are in Sao Paulo. So let's talk about that. How are they set up? How is Brazil? Is it party time already? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, you know, you go around the city and you see different things. I mean, this is a huge, huge city. So it's not like um, it's not like this one little central area where 
everybody's going to go to hang out. It's not it's not really that type of a place. Um, I mean, so you see different in different parts of the city. Uh, I mean, Tim Vicker had been speaking to us before about, you know, bunting. There, there's no evidence of that, obviously, in the sort of city centre. I mean, you look at these big, big, tall apartment blocks um, uh, and there's barely a flag. That, you know, there are no flags there. Um, but if you get, you know, I mean, on the way to the stadium, for instance, um, you get the shuttle bus, bus to the stadium. You can see as you pass through these different neighbourhoods, you go through the sort of favela. And there are a lot of flags there. I mean, every, anywhere where the buildings are one and two stories, there seem to be flags, and where they're above that, not so much. Um, if there are in the taller areas, it's mainly because they're uh, bearing the logos of corporate sponsors. You have, uh, you're at the press conference, at the Brazil press conference. We'll hear a chat you had at that with a couple of the journalists a little bit later on. But it certainly seems that, uh, well, Scolari seems to radiate a sense of authority and calm. And Neymar was involved as well. Yeah. I mean, Scolari came in and, and literally sat down and kind of looked at He's like, you know, good afternoon, everybody. I just want to say to all Brazilians, um, we've been waiting a long time. Uh, our time has arrived. This is our World Cup. You know, and uh, and and Neymar kind of was repeating that uh, phrase a few times. Like, you know, our time has arrived. Our time is now. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they obviously get on very well. You know, I think Scolari understands Neymar pretty well. Um They've got a they've got a positive kind of relationship. Neymar, you can see, he's kind of uh, comfortable in the skin up there. Um, you know, Scolari was talking about uh, you know the well. Look, Scolari had something really terrible happen on Tuesday, where Scolari's nephew was killed in a in a car crash. I was reminded of I mean, just before the South African World Cup started as well, it was I think it was the granddaughter of Nelson Mandela who died in a in a road accident. Um, Scolari's nephew died. Uh, on Tuesday, and he actually found out the news during the training session. Um, and you know, he he obviously, you know, uh, he's got a lot on at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and he essentially just declined the opportunity to take uh, compassionate leave. Um, but speaking about that, said that he uh, essentially draws strength from working with the players, and and actually gave kind of got a nice speech about it, where he talked about, look, you come to this stadium which is a beautiful stadium, actually. You know, you look around and, uh, you know, you just kind of have to go on. You know, we forget about the uh, the bad things and we concentrate on the 95% of our life that's positive and we go on. Um, so, you know, he, he, what he, he talked about Croatia. He talked about, um, I think the thing that he finished up on more or less was uh, we have seven steps. We have to go up seven steps, but we have to think of the first step. We can't jump all seven. So the idea I transmit to my team is we have the first step tomorrow against Croatia. And the only thing he was going to say to his players now was to go to sleep and sleep well. Wayne Rooney, I don't know how well he's sleeping, Ken. Maybe not particularly, given how many people think that he may get dropped at some stage in the tournament. He's comparing himself to Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, I'm sure he was asked about Cristiano Ronaldo and gave an interesting answer. Yeah, um, you know... I sometimes wonder. I don't, I don't think Wayne really necessarily thinks too carefully about the things that comes out of the things that come out of his mouth or how bad they're going to sound. Um, Rooney, um, he mentions, I'm not a player who needs a legacy like Cristiano. He has to have that. I'm more about winning as a team. He wants to have his moments. I've won Player of the Year. It's nowhere near as good as winning a trophy with United. I mean. Wayne Rooney maybe has to get into his head. Like, who is he to who is he to say something like that about Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like 
What? What is if if Ronaldo was motivated only by personal glory? What is it that motivates Wayne Rooney? Contract extensions, clearly, that's the thing that he seems to value more than anything. Certainly more than performance. I mean, uh, he says he's won Player of the Year. That's true. He hasn't won the Ballon d'Or as Cristiano Ronaldo now has twice. Um, I don't know if that's as good as winning a trophy with uh, Manchester United. Uh, but even that, he didn't manage to do last season. So I don't know. I mean, it just seems to me like. Uh, I guess maybe I, I don't know what the relationship is like between Ronaldo and Rudy. I would guess not particularly warm, judging by what he had to say about Paul Scholes, which I was kind of interested in. <clears throat> I mean, you, you're so, you sort of when you, when you see a professional football team playing, everyone is reminded of playing on a football team when they were kids, and you know, oftentimes you were friends with the other players in your team. I mean, that's why you were on the team uh, with each other. Uh, it's not really. It's not like that in professional football. You have to remember. Uh, Rooney was also talking about skulls. I mean, we, we were talking about skulls. Skulls came out with some really cutting criticism of Rooney, where he suggested that he was uh, effectively over the hill. <clears throat> that um, uh, you know he, he may already be past his best, which is a bit awkward for Manchester United, who just given him a, a record contract, a five-year contract. Um, and skulls said, "Yeah, it was a bit strange." Or Rooney rather said, "I thought it was a bit strange." Uh, he said, I think he probably upset a few people at Man United because they've uh, given me a contract. They obviously have a different opinion from him. And he said, um, you know, that, uh, well, he's the best player I've ever played with. So, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with him. But, you know, I just take no notice of the criticism. But they asked if he had spoken to Skull since. And he said, no, I haven't spoken to him. Uh, he said, um, I'd, I've never had his number and he's he's never had mine. So. Uh, so no, we've never we we haven't spoken. Very briefly, Skulls think. himself has uh, written another blog for Paddy Power. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anything incendiary in this one? He, he's got a lot to live up to. Skulls, he's kind of set these standards now, and people are expecting him to just lay into I don't know, maybe Jack Wilshire or something. Skulls is telling Roy Hodgson to abandon all caution and come out uh, uh, against Italy all guns blazing, um, and to do this. He is encouraging him to pick uh, both Sterling and Barkley. But that doesn't mean that he's going to drop uh, Rooney or Sturridge. <clears throat> oh, no. This is Paul Scholes' suggested England front six uh, for the match against Italy. Uh, he's He's got Wayne Rooney up top. He's got Danny Welbeck in behind, uh, shadowing Andrea Pirlo, who I'm not entirely convinced is actually going to play in that position for Italy. I think it might be Verratti who plays there with Perlo playing slightly uh, slightly ahead. But uh, he's got uh, Raheem Sterling on the left. He's got Daniel Sturridge on the right. And in midfield, he's got Ross Barkley. And then standing some distance behind this uh, collection of devastating attacking stars is Steven Gerrard. Uh, captain holding midfielder Steven Gerrard uh, is standing there uh, behind this devastating <clears throat> collection of attacking talent, um, presumably, I guess this is Skulls' way of of uh, burying Steven Gerrard, such that nobody would <clears throat> ever ever think to uh, argue ever again about who is the better player, Paul Skulls or Steven Gerrard. What after Italy beat England nine 0 in Manaus that time, but poor old Gerrard overrun. I'm not sure if that's exactly what uh, what Skulls had in mind, but I think it's what would happen 
uh, with this starting England team. I'm quite interested that Paul Scholes uh, didn't have the balls to drop <laughs> Wayne Rooney. He had said that maybe Hodgson might not have the balls to do it, and uh, Scholes himself, in the end, decided against uh, against dropping the big man up front. That's the end of Kennerly's report on sport. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no, 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 no. obviously none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know not some sort of animal you know what I mean and you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like Mother Teresa you know he's um, I don't know we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. Ken, you did catch up with a couple of the top journalists over there at the Brazil press conference. Yeah, after Scolari and Neymar spoke, um, I spoke to Jonathan Wilson and Fernando Duarte. So, uh, Jonathan, you've just seen Luis Felipe Scolari and uh, Neymar do their press conference. Scolari's tone, would you say it was more cool conviction or steely resolve? Oh, uh, somewhere in between the two. I mean, I, I thought he, he got the tone just right, actually. It was, there was, it was a sense of, yes, we're going to win it, but there was also sort of a sense that they're quite relaxed about that. And you could see very clearly the bond between him and Neymar. Um, I think that's really been the key strength of Brazil in the two years since he took over is, is this sense of, of togetherness. Um, and if, if their relationship is indicative of the rest of the squad, then yeah, the, the bond does appear to be very strong. Fernando, do you share their uh, apparent blithe confidence that this is their World Cup? Well, they have to be confident, otherwise they will succumb to this immense pressure. But the thing of Scolari is that he knows he needs to fire up the squad, and especially he knew what to do with Neymar. Scolari pretty much reinvented Neymar for, for the national team. Before, really? Yeah, before he took over, he was full of doubt. He was kind of like his knees were bending a bit with all the pressure. Scolari picked him up, kind of like wrapped him in cotton wool. You know, Today was Neymar's first press conference ever since he joined the team in, in, for, for, for the World Cup. He had but he's, he's so good at doing press conferences. Why, why have they not happened to do him before? They're protecting him. There's a lot of things uh, out of the picture. You could ask him stuff about Barcelona. He says, oh, he's been shooting Neymar ever since he took over. And Neymar responded to the pitch brilliantly. He's been our main player. Yeah. Um, there has been a bit of uh, discussion, I understand, about the position of Oscar in the team. Now, Oscar maybe... I mean, I know it's, it's not a discussion that goes as far as Kalari because he says Oscar starts, but Oscar maybe isn't convincing everyone at the moment. I don't think there's any other player that can do what Oscar does. That's the problem. Scolari needs to protect him. Will he? Not in the way Oscar operates. It would unbalance the squad because you'd have to do something with Hulk. I don't think these two can play together, in my humble opinion. However, if Oscar's not delivering, he's going to have to think of something. What do you make of that? I mean, is Oscar a player that you would have in there automatically? Yeah, he is. I mean, I agree with Fernando absolutely that he he offers a sense of guile, of calm creativity that I don't think anybody else in the squad does and so with, with Neymar cutting in and, and Ulf cutting in I think he, you know, he's the perfect player to sort of step back and, and join that together I, mean, I, I've, I saw Oscar for the first time in the 2011 Under-20 World Cup in Colombia when he was absolutely sensational I mean, how he didn't get player of the tournament is 
I mean, it's a nonsense. He was brilliant in that tournament. Scored a hat trick in the final, but even before that, he'd been superb. And that was playing on the left of a midfield diamond, which was out of position for him. But he was intelligent enough and and humble enough to to change his game. Uh, I, okay, his form dipped slightly at, at Chelsea the last couple of months of the season, but I think for a young player arriving in Europe with no prior experience of Europe to to make yourself a regular at a club like Chelsea that quickly is an astonishing achievement I, I, I think he's a fantastic player well, the path was cleared from a little bit by Jose Mourinho steamrolling Juan Mata out of the way which tells you how much faith Mourinho has, has in him I mean that's not it's not his fault that Mourinho likes him better than Massa. I mean there's a reason for that which is that he's a better player for what Mourinho wants in the team uh, the, the place of Hulk in the team though doesn't appear to be up for question even though he's a, a really predictable player as though Iron Robin, halfway between Iron Robin and a hippopotamus. <laughs> um, I mean, I can see an argument that you prefer William to, to Hulk, but I mean, he's played well for Zenit this season. I mean, I think he's scored roughly a goal every other game for, for Zenit. So he, you know, he and he's, you know, he's part of Scolari's side. The, the, the Scolari doesn't like to change the team once he's got it. it yeah. That's part of the togetherness he brings. So you're, you're looking at me pityingly, Fernando, when I spoke those disparaging words about Hulk your, your whole demeanour changed you became sort of cool and disdainful uh, <laughs> you're a man who has a lot of respect for Hulk I think he's, he's a, the kind of player that if he has to sacrifice himself for the team he does it and look at where he is he's almost played as a, as a right winger it's not even his proper position although you can argue bringing in inside for his left foot is a, it would be something amazing however this is a guy for the, the whole brand of pressure pressure football scholar wants to install in Brazil this kind of bullying of the opposition Hulk is fundamental because he's a guy who can drag literally players around it's almost a battering ram unfortunately it's not pretty for, for, the, for the people to see the crowd boos him but he's a crucial player the crowd boos him really yeah yeah in the Confederations Cup the crowd on his case all the time he, he they were shouting Lucas Lucas for Filippo to bring uh, sorry Lucas Moro in I, I think it, it's not like unquestionable it can, it can be withdrawn at moments of the match you can bring uh, perhaps uh, uh, Bernard to kind of like play out like a proper, a proper winger but I think that people don't realise how important Hulk is he's going to hassle players and this harassment of opposition is fundamental for Scolari's plans What about what Jonathan was talking about there the, the kind of conservatism of Scolari in terms of he, he knows his team he's known his team for a year it's got, this is the team that's going to play I can think of another manager who did that. I don't expect you to be familiar with uh, Giovanni Trapattoni necessarily in Ireland's Euro 2012. But he was a man who also knew his team. He knew in 2009 what the team was going to be in, in 2012. And the problem was that by the time the tournament happened, it was no longer the right team. Is there, is there a problem uh, in that, in, of that nature with, with uh, Scolari possibly? No, he built up a squad and he has weapons to change it. For example, if Paulinho, for example starts not delivering and Paulinho is another crucial player he can bring Fernandinho I would love to have his problem oh my god who am I going to play Paulinho or Fernandinho uh, Paulinho can play either as in Luis Gustavo's position or playing Paulinho's position he, 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 there is some reshuffling he can do but listen the, the formula he's been using the, the, this collective brand of, of high tempo and, and high intensity it, it's something that, uh, that he wouldn't like to, to temper too much unless he has to well, the other thing that John mentioned was this, this idea of his, his almost uh, paternal bond with certain players. Well, I mean, that, I remember that being a big aspect of his, you know, his regime the last time out. What, what is it about this style of management that seems to work so well with Brazilian players? Well, players know he's going to take the flag for them. He's going to take the first bullet. And he's going to pretty much absorb the whole pressure and, and try to pretty much 
avoid it pouring over them, the pressure is going to trickle over the players because Scolari is there with his face open waiting for the punches and that's the players respond for that. Every player who played under Scolari has only kind of like paternal uh, compliments uh, to, to say about him and, uh, and that shows a lot. Players are absolutely faithful to him. Has nobody ever fallen out with him? Yeah, of course, Romario for example, but even Romario respects him. Romario was excluded uh, uh, of the 2002 World Cup even though the whole country is asking for him. Brazil won it and um, Kind of reminder had to forgive Scolari. He said, "Yeah, I understand what he did. I didn't like it, of course, but you know, he went there and won the championship." There's another team involved in the game, uh, Jonathan, who are missing a couple of big players for them. Mario Mandzukic which is maybe the biggest miss. Uh, Daniel Prandtl apparently missing out as well. Um, do Croatia have any chance of of really uh, <laughs> breaking everyone's hearts here? Well, they have a chance, um, but I think it's, it's very difficult for them. I think actually the, the loss of Prandtl is a is a real issue because he's the only left, the only proper left back in the squad. Um, so the lad who play there is, is normally a right back. So that, that's that's difficult for them. I think really you know, the fascinating clash is Neymar against Dario Serna. The Dario Serna, I, I don't really know why he's Shakhtar. I mean, okay, he's 32 now; he's not going to move on. But presumably, he's he, making a hell of a lot of money out there. Yeah, but he, he, yeah, of course, he's making huge amounts of money. But why uh, a more glamorous Western European club hasn't gone for him? Because I, I think. In the, over the last 10 years, I'd say he's been the most consistent, good attacking right-back in Europe. Uh, set play delivery superb as well. So I think that battle between Neymar and Serna, Serna having to sort of temper his attacking instincts, I think that's going to be key. And I think if Brazil have a weakness, uh, weakness maybe is the wrong word, but if there's a place where you, you could conceivably get at them, it's behind the fullbacks. So it's conceivable that if Brazil don't score in the first sort of 25, 30 minutes. And I think what's interesting about the Confederations Cup is that in those five games, in three of them they scored in the first 10 minutes, in all of them they were ahead by half-time. So although there's this great sense of a stadium moving behind them and this great sort of upsurge of patriotic feeling then, we don't actually know how that response is going behind. So if Croatia could hold them for half an hour, if Serna can then hit that space behind uh, Marcelo at left-back and link up with... Maybe Olic on the right, uh, maybe Kovacic on the right. Then possibly there's a way Croatia can get at them, but it, it, it's very difficult. Hey, what do you make of that then, Fernando? Uh, Jonathan Dead's staying power of the Brazilian fans. Keep, keep them out for half an hour. I, I, keep I, them I, out I, for half an hour and they give up. I, that's not what I said. They I said, raised I, the white flag. <laughs> Quote unquote, they <laughs> raised the white flag. I, I, I said we didn't know how they'd react to that. How, how will they react? Well, we, you can look at the Confederations Cup game against Uruguay. Although they were, Brazil went up when you were half time. They should have gone behind with a penalty, and it was the only team that pretty much didn't allow them to play. They can get uncomfortable if, they, if things are not going their, their way. And one thing that when he mentioned the, the, uh, the centre-backs, Thiago and, and Davi, they have a problem because in Europe they play with fullbacks that are not Brazilian fullbacks, and not those guys are going to bump forward. When they play in Brazil and those players go forward, they tend to do the, 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 the whole European cover model. They, go, they, they stay where they are. They don't drift to the wing to basically try to... to, to, to look at whoever's coming because what they should do attack, an attack coming from, from the left Davi should slot there and Luis Gustavo should should cover Marcelo it doesn't happen Luis Gustavo goes Brazil can get a bit tricky the, the, that centre-back partnership is fantastic for Brazil with that on the pitch Brazil concedes half of the goals they usually do they have the, the goal average they consider goal average for Brazil but they have frailties and I think one of these things is that they have to adapt to a Brazilian model even though they play in Europe all the time they're not going to find full-backs bombing forward all the time so how do you think it's going to go? A quick prediction? I think Brazil are going to do it, and uh, perhaps 2-1. I think the main uh, 
pity for Croatia that Mandzukic not there because he was going to be bullying those boys. A huge center for Brazilians never like playing against a huge man in the box. He's always kind of like hassling around. You can see Luka Tony did that to Brazil once as well. And I think Croatia going to miss Mandzukic. Yeah, I think a hard fought but ultimately comfortable Brazil victory. 2-0, 3-0, something like that. Although I, I, 3-0? Yeah, I, I'd love to see what would happen if, yeah, if Croatia did take the lead. Just... I mean, I, I still expect they lose like three or four one, but I, I would be fascinating to see how the stadium reacted to that. Okay, so Brazil's all round. We'll see how it goes tomorrow night. Thanks very much. Great chat there, Ken. Sounds like the well, interesting reaction Fernando Duarte had to you comparing uh, Hulk to was it a hippopotamus? Did you go with that? Um, that that, that didn't seem, yeah. It is interesting that Hulk seems to maybe be in a lot of ways. I don't know if the key man is the correct way of doing it, but he he seems to be emblematic of the muscular approach that Brazil are taking. He's a pretty good footballer, though, as well, no? Nah, I don't <laughs> think he's that good. I mean, he kicks the ball very hard, uh, but I wouldn't say he was that good. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him in, a, in the best World Cup squad or any, anywhere close to it. I mean, he's a pretty average player, but he, he does have uh, far above average shooting power, and that creates a spectacular impression. I mean, he scored... You know, he's he's scored a few goals for Porto, a few goals for Zenit, but I wouldn't I just I just think you need more at this kind of level of the game. I mean, I'm trying to think who he reminds me of. I mean he, he, he it's it's a bit like Robin. I mean it's but it's insulting to compare Robin to him because Robin is a much better player. Christian Vieri. It's Rob, uh, sorry? Owen? Christian Vieri. That's who I'm gonna compare him to. No, Christian Vieri is a great goal scorer. Well, yeah, Christian Vieira was a great goal scorer. If Christian, if if Hulk goes and scores five goals in this World Cup, then scores five goals in the next World Cup, then maybe he can, he can, uh, you know, think, yeah, you can compare me to Christian Vieira. But no, not un, not until, not until that happens. I mean, Robin maybe is a bit of a one-dimensional player in that he knows what he does well and he tries to do it all the time. Um, and Hulk is the same as that, but Robin is a, is a much much better footballer in my opinion than Hulk. A much better dribbler, much better control of the ball. But you know, he he's not the you know I'm making him sound like he's a terrible player. Personally, I would play William. I think William is a, is a better player than Hulk. I think he's a better all rounder. I think he gives you more options. Um, that's not going to happen. So let's see how Hulk does. All right, Richie Sadler has popped into studio. I'm delighted to say, Richie, thanks for calling in. How are you, lad? You out? We're pretty good, yeah. And uh, I'm sure you are as well. World Cup opening day. But I want to ask you, and we want to focus on tomorrow, because this is how great the World Cup can be. First full day, a Friday night, 8pm, Spain play Holland, which is pretty exciting. Would you like to see Spain win the World Cup again? I would have no problem with that. I have no <laughs> difficulty seeing Spain win it again. Um, I think there is a thing you're kind of picking up now, because they've won three tournaments back to back, there's a kind of a weariness now or a bit of a backlash you know we all loved their style of play when we first saw it and when it was so successful but I think there is a lot of people now who are a little bit fed up I, I don't buy into that at all I love watching Spain I think the way they play is up there with the, the most difficult ways of football to, 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 to play in terms of in terms of picking a player that can go in and play that way or, or to coach kids to play that way that's a really difficult job so I'd have like a huge amount of respect for how they play football I love watching it and if they were to win it no issue with that at all. Do you think people have become fatigued by the style of play, by the fact that they're not involved in massively high-scoring games, or is it just people get fed up with the same team winning a competition time and again? I think there's a... I, I remember, actually, if you go back go back to 2010, when, when we, we were covering games, and, and 
I was in RTE and, and every game you're looking at, you know, for the strengths of a team and you're looking at weaknesses and, and, and Spain were winning. You know, the knockout games was at 1-0, they were kind of winning and then at the end you're kind of going, well, what are the flaws? And, and the obvious go-to place was, well, you know, they're not free scoring. They don't batter teams in terms of the scoreline. Um, and I think we were just looking for, looking for ways of criticising them. So I think it's just a weariness when you see the same team winning again and again. Um, and, and, and they were dominating games the way they were. And you just think, right, well, where are the flaws here? And just focus on little things which aren't that great a flaw at all. It is kind of a weird thing, though, isn't it? Because in every sport you do eventually get dominant champions, um, but people's reactions to them are very different. Like Tiger Woods dominates golf. Everybody loves it. Michael Schumacher dominates Formula One. It's completely ruined the sport. Does it matter about the personality the person involved? Well, apparently so. I'm just wondering why. what it is that, you know, why, why it seems to be that some champions uh, are loved for you know, crushing the opposition and making their sport predictable and others are others are hated. What is the what is it the ones that are loved are doing that the ones that are hated aren't doing? <laughs> um I think when you when you're sp- talking about individual sports like that, when you're talking about say Roger Federer or, or, or Woods or Schumacher, I'm talking about my own personal view, is it, it's not so much how they play. Like Federer seemed to be a very likable fella. He seemed to be a gent. There was no real nastiness in him. So I, I like watching him, I'd have no difficulty watching him win again and again and again. And Tiger Woods the same. I, I, like no issue with him at all. But when it, it comes to team sports, that I think you're, you're you're looking at like how they play and the kind of people they are. The, whether you can buy into supporting them as individuals as well. But um, in terms of how they play, I, I love watching Spain all the time. Brazil. If you take team sports, uh, Brazil won three World Cups out of four from 1958 to 1970 and that 1970 World Cup is still held up as maybe the greatest uh, achievement the most popular team that's ever played the game Kilkenny their hurlers and you might disagree with this Richie uh, being the hurling expert that you are you've been to a few All-Ireland finals I never, I've never got the sense that they have been particularly loved and in fact Clare when they came along in the 1990s everyone loved them for two seasons and then everyone started going oh this like Nan guy we liked his fire and brimstone stuff last year, but we don't really like it anymore. Uh, uh, so it does seem that uh, that certain, even in team sports, certain teams seem to be better at um, at holding the affection uh, of others. I'm just wondering if well, you even agree with that. Hur- hurling is my game. Um, <laughs> that's that's fair to say. I, I remember watching like again, watching Kilkenny several times and always wanting them to win. And and you read a lot of the stuff, you know, it's bad for the sport to have any, and this is a general thing now, it's bad for the sport to have any one team winning all the time. And I'd also say, well, why is was it this, bad? Sorry, Richie, was that around the same time that you were supporting the Rangers nine in a row team? Different era, Ken. Similar <laughs> similar principle. I have no issue at all with with, with, with a team dominating a sport. But I, I don't know why. You know, people say, you know, it's bad that Kilkenny will, will win all the time or... I haven't heard it from many people turn around saying, oh, it's bad for the sport of football if Spain keep winning. Like, I, I don't know why that would be. I don't know why you would say that any one team doing well consistently is a bad thing for a sport. Yeah. Ken, you yourself seem to have gone off Leo Messi. Am I right in saying that? Why? No, no, not at all. I just... Um, I've, I've noticed in a few of the questions you've asked a few journalists over the last few months, it seems to be, there seems to be a little bit of... Sniping behind it, I don't know. You, you seem no, to, you seem to think that he, he's since he's become the alpha male of the group, 
yeah, maybe you're not as as taken with him as you were when he was well, the young no, upstart. No, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that now, but I think it's more it's more kind of we have to try and uh, we have to sort of move on our understanding of what Lionel Messi is all about, you know, because I think um, you know for for the first few years of his career he was kind of viewed almost patronizingly as almost like a child, you know, like a very simple guy who you know just sort of. All, all he does is just want to play football, you know that, you know that kind of thing. And uh, I don't think that's really true. I think well, you know, hang on a second. Uh, a bit more going on there, and you know, I think there is a bit of a there's a bit of a darkness there. That doesn't mean that I've gone off him or have I've lost uh, lost respect for him. You know, I mean, gone off. What does that even mean? You know, was I in love with Lionel Messi? I don't know. Maybe I was. Are you saying there's a, there's a oh, bad thing? Early in the morning over here. Are, are you saying it's a bad thing to have more going on than just a love of football? No, not at all, not at all. But uh, but you know, I think that there is that 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 there is kind of a negative side to Lionel Messi, which you know we should uh, we should talk about. You know, I mean, if he is kind of bullying teammates or he is trying to control the dressing room, I think that's I think it's sort of interesting that he that he does that. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily a case of condemning him. I mean, this is a guy who's by far the best player in the world. Of course, he wants to bend his environment, you know, to his own specifications. Of course, he wants to call the shots as to what's going on but you know let's not pretend that he's just this little kid running around with a with a football he just wants to get out there in the field and he doesn't care who goes with him well Messi is interesting I hadn't even intended to talk about him today but you know I did ask the question what Ken talks about there bending his environment to suit him is probably best encapsulated in the absence of Carlos Tevez from the Argentina squad by all accounts Messi doesn't play particularly well with him and just doesn't want him in there now that's I can I can see where the manager is coming from there. If you want to build it around Messi, maybe there has to be a bit of collateral damage. But apparently, Messi's even choosing the goalkeepers. The, there's a goalkeeper who should be playing, but Messi doesn't think he's that great. But I don't there know what that's story. got to do with Messi. There you was know? a story the other day, actually, on that um, Alejandro Sabella, the, the Argentina manager. Now, this story was by Diego Torres, the man who um, he wrote that recent... Um, lurid book about Jose Mourinho, which obviously uh, Mourinho encourages you not to believe, but it was just so um, so funny uh, that I, I couldn't help believing large tracks. But apparently, anyway, Sabella doesn't speak to Lionel Messi directly. Uh, he uh, he speaks to him through uh, Aguero, Mascherano, and Gago. Oh, I think come on, that can't sort of be. Emissary. Yeah, no, he, do, he doesn't talk to him directly. It's not a case of, you know, if they're at dinner, he says, Mascherano, could you please ask Messi to pass me the salt? It's not, not that type of thing. But that he doesn't, he doesn't try to sort of man-manage him one-on-one. He'll say to Mascherano, what's wrong with, what is wrong with Messi? I don't understand. Why is he arguing? But what else was, it, was this piece saying? It was saying that Guardiola had figured out that the thing, or so, I think it started off with Sabella saying, the, the way to manage Messi is not to break his balls, which I think means basically don't say boo to him, you know, because, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he gets angry. Uh, Guardiola had, had said, you know, this is a guy who has these silences. And when he's got the, when he's silent, you just leave him alone. You know, don't, don't go over there and try to manage him. Don't go and try and perk him up. He's silent. He's, he's working something there. Just, just, just stay away from him. You know, so, um, he's, he's a fairly, he, he, he's not exactly the, the world's sunniest character. You know what I mean? But, that's fine if everyone around him uh, learns to uh, learns to, to cope with that. I mean, our you know our greatest football hero of the last uh, 
you know, a few decades, wasn't really a particularly sunny character. He didn't like to stay with another player in his hotel room, for instance. Although I saw the Argentina squad, Messi does have a roommate, but it is Sergio Aguero, one of the three guys, apparently, who, who the coach speaks to him through. So I don't know, you know, he's, um, you know, he's a guy who's, who's, uh, who can be a little bit difficult to deal with, but uh, he's very good at football on the other hand, so you put up with it. Yeah, I think that's the case, is what his teammates, how they react to that. I, I mean, I've heard all those stories as well, that, that, that Messi has a greater role in possibly team selection or formation. Or Coaching he's, the goalkeepers. Yeah, he, he's, he's involved in the discussion in some way around team affairs. And, and you know, putting that to one side, if, if, it, it's, if the teammates start to resent that, or if he starts becoming a problematic figure in the squad, but because he's so good, I mean... I can't imagine any player in the world like resenting anything about Lionel Messi if he's in your team. Yeah. Because if he's in your team, your chances of success are phenomenally enhanced because of his presence. He obviously is um, has been listening to you a little bit, Ken, because a photo was circulating I saw this morning of an Argentinian training session and they're all grouped around the manager listening intently, all these big-name Argentinian players. Leo Messi's in the middle of it, bouncing a ball on his head. So uh, there's obviously still a bit of a love of football there. It has come to my attention that some of you uh, believe that I am a joyless ogre. Uh, this is incorrect. Stand around and watch while I bounce the ball on my head and perform other tricks in order to show that I have not lost my level. I don't know if that's what happened. I mean, it's good if Messi is, is uh, at the center of the group and that way feels comfortable demanding their attention uh, in that way. Um, I mean, I was looking at, uh, I was thinking about Neymar there. Obviously, Neymar is uh, going to be in action tonight for Brazil and they're hoping to see a different player to the one that plays alongside Messi, sort of skulking around in the shadows at Barcelona. Um, you know, but he, I think it, he, is, he, he has a very different place within the Brazil group. So if you look at, say, Neymar's Instagram, and you should because it's like his primary vehicle of communication with the world. Um, I mean, you might be annoyed by the fact that he just seems to take photographs of himself all the time and put them on the internet, but that's just what people do now. You know, don't be, try and look beyond that. Um, <laughs> What what you see is that uh, there's, there's, a, there's a photo where he's taking one of these um, annoying um, Ellen DeGeneres type selfies, <laughs> uh, except it's him at the front of uh, of an airplane cabin, and he's and he's obviously pulling the face like he does in every photo. But every single person that you can see, all, all the Brazilian players uh, are all kind of gurning and you know making peace signs and doing all these Neymar type photo things. You know, the whole team seems to be involved, and uh, when you look back kind of further through there aren't any of that type of photograph when he's at Barcelona you know it's always just him it's either him and his sort of Brazilian mates in his flat or whatever him maybe with, with uh, Danny Alves or Mascherano or one of those kind of uh, one of the South Americans um, but none of those ones where it's like hey 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 guys I've got this great idea for a photo you know I'm going to stand at the front of the plane and you, you're all going to kind of make stupid faces and then I'm going to put it on my Instagram. Imagine Neymar tried to do that at Barcelona. What kind of reaction he'd get from the other players? Like, shut up, Neymar. <laughs> just sit down. You know, there, there's one actually which he does take on a plane. It's just him and Alves. You can see Fabregas in the background gurning a little bit, but everybody else is just ignoring it. So, you know, it's, uh, he just doesn't feel comfortable in that group demanding the kind of attention that he routinely does with Brazil. Maybe that's why he... Uh, Maybe that's why he feels like he can express himself more, Owen, once he puts on, puts on that yellow shirt. All right, we had started by talking about Spain, Holland. I do want to ask you about Holland, Richie, who seem to have gone back to a more 
traditional, familiar Dutch style or something more akin to what they used to do up until 2010, which was an aberration in their entire history. They changed tactics. They decided brute force was the way to win a World Cup and they very nearly got there. Is it important for a team, for a national team, even a club team, to play up to the expectations of their supporters as regards how they actually approach the game? I think it's more important to some clubs and some countries. Um, I mean, if, use an Irish example. I mean, would you say we have a specific style that if we abandoned, the manager would be lynched for abandoning the Irish way? No, we had one during Jack Charlton's yeah. era and... I don't think anyone was too sorry to see that yeah, go. That wasn't really. That was kind of an English style, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't yeah. like that was a that was a kind of um, position of maximum opportunity, aerial, you know, bomber Harris. Ah, there was style. an Irish twist though, because even in that era, Gary Lineker was at least allowed to try to score goals, whereas John Aldridge was told, "Listen, mate, <laughs> goal scoring—you can do all that at club level. Up here, you're going to run after that fullback and pressure him into making a mistake." A masochistic Irish twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's extraordinary, isn't it, that Holland are so wedded to those beliefs or that that style of play that a World Cup final appearance is 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 unwelcome or, or, or criticised because they've abandoned that style. Yeah. Like again, well, I, can, I think go on. I think it has to. Do, I think it has to do with the fact. Sorry, Richard. That like Holland is a small country. I mean. Are they the smallest country? No, Uruguay are the smallest country to, to get to the World Cup final, I guess. But Holland are, are one of the smallest countries to play there. And they played there twice in the 1970s. And they got there because they in, effectively invented this style of play. So it's been shown to work. It's been shown to work for them. Nothing else has, has ever been shown to work for them. Uh, well, I guess until <laughs> I guess until 2010. But um, after 2010, everyone was telling them that they were they were horrible. They were you know they were they were shameful. They should hide themselves away. Whereas after the 74, 78, everybody was praising them. So I guess if they they have a formula which both wins uh, praise and admiration from the rest of the world and gets a small country to work a final, you'd you'd feel like you should stick to it. Yeah, but if you take the example of Brazil, even and we've been talking about them today, they won a World Cup in 1994 playing a style of football that was hugely unpopular in their country and that team has gone down in history as less popular for example than the 1982 team which didn't even win the tournament but is seen as what Brazilian football should be all about now I don't know maybe that's revisionist because I'm sure at the time all Brazilians were celebrating fairly wildly when they won that competition and Brazil is a much larger more successful football nation than Holland it may depend on on the size of the country how picky you can be uh, about your actual style but I guess the question, Richie, is does the style of football matter at all or should it matter at all to a country? For example, should Dutch fans, even if they have to kick their way to success, be happy to win a World Cup? It's coming from our point of view, you would, you would assume any time a team is sent out and wins a World Cup, it, it, it's, it's something you should be proud of and be grateful to see and it'd be very difficult to pick holes with it. But again, we're not coming from a, a particularly strong footballing identity of a certain style of play if you're Dutch particularly if you're Brazilian like you said they do they have notions that there's a specific way that they play and it's that's you know it's their gift to the world that's what they do the kids are coached this way and the adults play this way and abandoning that is is uh is to be frowned upon but <laughs> I'd be of a view if you win a world cup Hats off to you. you. You've done your job. You, you you should be absolutely lauded by everyone in your country. But again, we we don't have this thing like Brazilians. If they're five World Cups, they they they're phenomenally successful. They have standards that that we we never come near. We, uh, do you know what I mean? So yeah. they have a completely different uh, way of looking at these things. Richie, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Cheers, lads.
Hairdryers is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. I don't know that he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Ken, before we let you go there and uh, get get all get the face paint on, get your Brazilian face paint on. Uh, the, just on tomorrow's games, uh, we were, we've been talking a lot about Spain and Holland there. Chile play us, well, Mexico and Cameroon as well. But just Spain's group. One of the suggestions uh, that, and I know you don't think Spain are going to win the World Cup, but one of the suggestions is that they're not even going to get out of this group. They're, they're going to falter against Holland, and then they could end up having to play a Chile team who. Uh, a lot of people are tipping up. I don't know why Australia are seen as a stumbling block in any way, but do, do you foresee any sort of scenario in which Spain don't get out of this group? No, I don't. Uh, I don't see them failing to get out of the group. I mean, I suppose anything is possible. I mean, you know, you could see us could throw one in. Um, they lost their first World Cup match against Switzerland last time out, uh, and that was a surprise to everyone. I mean, I remember the goal. It was such a freakish goal. It was... A, it was had an element of the Niall Quinn against Holland uh, kind of, you know, kick and sort of scramble and goalkeepers all over the place and boom, it's into the net from close range. Um, that kind of thing can happen to any team. Uh, it has happened to Spain in the past. But, you know, if, you, if you're asking me to predict, no, I, I would expect Spain to top the group. They're definitely the best team in the group. Uh, they clearly have the best squad by miles of any team in the group. The team I think needs to worry in that group is probably Holland because they, I think they're expected to go through along with Spain. Um, but, but in reality, Holland are, are kind of paper tigers. I think, you know, they've got, um, you know, Van Persie and Robin and not a lot else. From next Monday, we have six shows a week for you. are going to have World Cup daily shows from Monday to Thursday. And we'll have our all sports programs as per usual on Mondays and Thursdays. So there's extra shows for you on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Next week and for the next four weeks, the duration of the World Cup, we're looking forward to bringing those. So you have a listen to our first program out today. That's already out there. And Andy Lee in particular was in great form after his win over John Jackson. The knockout that you will, I'm sure, have seen online at some point over the last few days the best knockout of his career he described it as and he was just in really really great form reliving the moment and reliving the night and telling some great stories around it so it's well well, I think we're all quite biased towards Andy Lee anyway because he's one of our favourite sports people but he he was in particularly good form so have a listen if you can on iTunes on SoundCloud on the Podcast Republic app if you're on Android and do listen if you log on tiresimes.com forward slash podcasts a whole bunch of brilliant other podcasts are out there ready for you right now Kent we'll leave you go we're going to wrap up and uh, enjoy the game tonight thanks for being on I'll try take care and thanks for listening That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.